The Students Club Memory Journal podcast is dedicated to the Dakota people. We are very grateful for those who care for the land on which our community is built. Thank you. Welcome back to the Students Club Memory Journal. This is episode 11. This time we get to talk with Gigi Ochiaga, who now lives in Sweden. Gigi was a member when I was there. Let's have a chat with him. So let's do introductions, co-op meeting style. I'm Maxime. I go by any pronouns. And question of the day is, if you could be any Pokemon, which one would you be? And I'll be, um, isn't there one that's like a stormy cloud thing? That'd be cool. I'd like to, have, I'd, like, I'd like to have like rain thunder powers. That'd be really nice. <laughs> so it'd be useful in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm Chigi. Also comfortable with any pronouns. It's favorite Pokemon that I'd like to be with one of the original uh, Eevee. Always loved Eevee. The figure it's a potential Pokemon. Like it's not developed into one of its evolutions yet, but it has a lot of untold potential. Interesting. That's cool. Let's go back in time to when you first heard about the co-op. Yeah, I had first come across the co-op uh, the summer after my undergraduate. So I finished and I was living in Idaho doing an internship at a wolf center and was on the fellowship for intentional communities website looking at different communities that existed and yeah, checked out minnesota and then minneapolis to see what was close to where i had grown up and didn't know about yeah and yeah i saw it there looked it up and just got a short blurb that's on the website about how many people live there seemed interesting that's fascinating so you actually found it through the intentional communities network yeah the classified ad of it. And you were like, that looks like the place. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like I hadn't even applied to uh, graduate school at this point, which is why I was originally, which is why I moved back to Minnesota, but it was, uh, it was still on my radar. That's amazing. That is so cool. Okay. So then what was the application process like for you? Filling out an application in paper, which I believe I may have been able to print it out, but I definitely had to go there in person to turn it in and attend a meeting in person as well, which was interesting, uh, attending a meeting with a bunch of co-op members who I didn't end up living with, but a few people who I did also end up living with. And it was, yeah, definitely a different sort of generation thing. Yeah. So uh, were you undergrad so so does that mean you're kind of like you're 18 or 19 uh no i had uh let's see i'd finished up my undergrad in california and then my internship was after that so i was probably about 23 24 ish something like that looking for a place to live during graduate school awesome this year would be 2009 or so 2008 yeah I believe 2009 or 2008. When you were walking through the common areas of the house, what is a typical thing you'd see happening? During the time that I lived there? Oh, yeah. No, actually, yeah. Let's go back to the visit. And what what was your first impressions of that when you were visiting? My first impression of the co-op was that it seemed like a grunge scene. (laughs) So definitely something, yeah, fitting Oregon or Washington. Very Seattle-esque. When I hear the word grunge, I think of light flannel, long sleeve, open button shirts and jeans. And I hear like the screaming trees or some kind of like Christian rock group. In my, in my, like, I don't know. Grunge. Yeah. Grunge, definitely very alternative kind of scene. Yeah. It felt like I walked into, I don't know, like a punk rock sort of basement thing. Like they'd be ready to have a concert anytime. And how, what were your feelings about that? Was that kind of like, ooh, is this for me? Or were you like, all right, I could do this. It's fun. Yeah, I wasn't sure at first. Um, yeah, it made me uh, a little bit nervous. But as the uh, meeting progressed and I met more people, I was like, okay, this could work. It's definitely interesting. Not exactly what I had imagined, but yeah, it was hard to have a great idea going in of what exactly the co-op would be. 
Interesting. Yeah. And especially since you said the, when you ended up living there, probably a short time later, maybe just a, a month or something or. Yeah. A few months. Yeah. I applied pretty early just wanted to make sure that I had gotten an application in. Yeah. Then, and people had already shifted or like some cohort had left and there was new people. And yeah, I assume you got close to some people, you know? Yeah. And who are, who are the people that you most felt close with the cycles happen and people shift? It's kind of like, Oh, well, my people left and now it's these new people, but maybe for you, it was different. Yeah. Um, I moved in during a summer and there was sort of an old and existing cohort from uh, the University of Minnesota Morris that had been living there and people who had gone there were also beginning to move in. So I got close with them because a bunch of them were new. It sounds like Laurel, right? Yes. Yeah. Laurel <laughs> among them. Uh, Huck as well. Matt. Yeah. Quite a few people were there from that cohort. Cool. They were all quite involved in the operations of the co-op. So yeah, they were able to give me quite a handle on things. Excellent. Yeah, you you wore many hats there. What was it like being president of the house? President is, I mean, it's political trying to balance many people's desires and see what's realistic, try to have some sort of vision, the future as well. Actually, at the co-op, there's not necessarily always a whole lot of vision for the future. Um but trying to please people, make everybody feel like their voice is heard and make sure that these not just make people feel like their voice is heard, but make sure that their voices are heard. Yeah. What were your techniques for doing that? Do you want to share any tips? Yeah. Something I would do since the president was in charge of making the meeting agendas is if people were talking about something and people would often talk about different subjects in the kitchen, I'd mark them down on the meeting agenda myself to bring them up and make sure that we were talking about these pertinent things in a timely manner rather than just uh, letting them pass or be ignored. Mm. Nice. Yeah. So you kind of like paid attention to word on the street in the house. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And weren't you treasurer or financial manager at some point as well? Yeah, I was treasurer for quite a bit, as well as food manager, kitchen manager, whatever name it wants to be called. (laughs) Do you want to talk a little bit about those roles too? Yeah, food manager, that was a role I took on pretty early. So I moved in during a summer, and that coming fall, I became a food manager. That was exciting. Yeah, the co-op has a very interesting and fun way of getting food, listening to everybody's desires. Uh, People have a wish list on the whiteboard of what food they want. And ultimately there's a budget, at least when I was living there, of about $60 per person per month, which as people living in the real world, we know that living on $60 a month is pretty (laughs) limiting for food, but we made it work in ways uh, by being creative, like uh, going to get loaves of bread from a bakery, which was getting rid of their day old bread for a dollar, sometimes 50 cents. Then originally then later on, people figured out a place to get bread for free from donations and yeah, other creative and yeah, rather unconventional ways of stretching that money out, getting people able to survive on $60 a month for their food cost. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely attracted me when I, when I applied and I heard about that, I was like, wow, this is incredible. So many bulk organic groceries. And this is just amazing. Thank you for your contributions to the, to the food, uh, (laughs) food aspects. And uh, as treasurer, what were the, what were the challenges and um, rewarding aspects of any? Yeah. Treasurer was a little bit like the food manager because you also worked with the budget and had the incoming and outgoing money, but this time it was for the whole house. Mm. It was very enlightening to like, this was my first time as an adult paying all the bills like utility bills, uh, insurance, um, interacting with the city for whatever kinds of things like zoning Um, they wanted. Yeah. Taxes. Wow. Yeah. 
How were taxes done? Did you go to LATSA or one of those like tax advisor people? Yeah, we had an accountant. Remember who was over on the uh, opposite side of the Mississippi River there and would go bring all our financial records there for her to deal with. Yeah, I had I was treasurer, I believe, once, and I remember doing that after we had failed to pay taxes, <laughs> and it was quite a mess. Yeah. Yes. What was your first job or chore? Were you kind of hustled into a, a manager position right away, or did you do bathrooms and like me <laughs> first time when <laughs> you get there? You know, first time I started on dish duty. Yes, yeah, so doing lots of dishes during the week cleaning up the kitchen. Cool. This is maybe a kind of a weird question, but what is your sense now of the organizational structure? Does it seem like theoretically sustainable if people adhere to the rules? Or do you think that in the face of all the challenges of finding housing uh, these days that we need to figure out a way of prioritizing people in need, uh, demographics in need? Yeah, as a structure in... (laughs) I think the co-op is rather stable, which seems bizarre after knowing its inner workings, like <laughs> failing to file taxes some years and yeah, things like that and maintenance issues. But somehow people have made it work. And a strength of the co-op I found, especially working with other co-ops, is that so many people were involved in manager positions. So they quickly learned that it took quite a bit of effort to make the co-op succeed and persist. I think if it were fewer people, people might have a tendency to become more complacent and not involve themselves in as many of the operations of the co-op that are happening to make it run smoothly. For instance, like, um, so rent at the co-op, that was obviously a major attract into many people there. Yeah. So low, incredibly low. Like I remember paying something like less than $300 for uh, a space in a shared room. Yeah, I think when I moved in, which was, I guess, the summer of the late 2000s time, it was $235 a month for a space in a shared single. Yeah. And then I want to say a single room was maybe, well, somewhere around $300 per yeah, month. Yeah, like 310 or something. Yeah, it, it was really, it, it's just amazing. Yeah, I looked at the market rate in, in Minneapolis for 2010, just in preparing for this meeting. Nice. And like a studio or like a shared room was around $600. Yeah, so. that's what I remember paying. I remember coming out of the, the $600 or $700, $800 a month um, kind of world and coming to a place where you pay almost a quarter of that. And it was just like, Holy buckets. This is incredible. And it it just made me realize the power of people working together towards something, what we can do. Yeah. It's really quite shocking how much in rent normally goes to just funding members getting your rent. I mean, they also do some work processing and paying probably for utilities and upkeep of the building. But we at the co-op did so much of the maintenance ourselves and found contractors ourselves, which is what people are normally paying for in a lot of other apartment style housing. And that really brought rent down a huge amount. How would you say the Students Co-op Incorporated compares with, you went on to manage a whole bunch of co-ops, I think this in Santa Barbara, California. Is that it? Yes. Yeah, that's true. How would you say First of all, your roles changed, and how would you say what the students' co-op looked like in comparison to the, the California ones? Yeah, the Santa Barbara Student Housing Cooperative. I was the executive director there, and that role essentially entailed being the president, treasurer, financial manager, kitchen manager, maintenance manager, a bunch of various roles. I mean, I also lived in a house, so I was doing dishes and kitchen duty as well as well were you compensated at all for all this uh i got something like a maybe a 20 percent discount off my rent you should be getting paid that's kind of i did get paid as well i did get paid as well okay well thank goodness which was a living wage but it was uh not enough to attract 
some people, particularly if a person had a family and uh, children or anyone else to take care of, it was yeah, a rather low salary. I mean, if I'm just taking what you said about the students co-op roles and what I know about those, and if you're saying it's a combination of like two or three of those roles, I'm like, oh my gosh, that would be overwhelming to me. Yeah, it was a combination of roles and for five different houses at the time. And eventually when I ended uh, my position there, we had just acquired a sixth house as well. That sounds like at least a hundred people, if not more. Yeah. When I ended, it was, I think, uh, space for 110 people there. Oh my gosh. So in comparison to that, is, is it capable of becoming expanded like that? Or did the California cops have kind of a some advantage of structure or something that made them easily expanded will yeah the two functioned quite differently particularly since i was taking on all these roles in the santa barbara co-op it became apparent that within the houses there wasn't as much leadership people weren't taking as much responsibility and roles so like maintenance managers there didn't end up doing too many maintenance projects on their own houses whereas in minnesota Remember people doing plumbing, fixing showers, uh, doing some carpentry work, all kinds of different projects, right, which yeah. I think is part of what made the rent so low in the Minnesota co-op compared to the Santa Barbara co-ops where rent was still below market rate, but quite a bit closer to it than it was in Minnesota. It almost seems like the flaw then in the Minnesota system, or I mean, the Students Co-op Incorporated one is you have to maintain an informal culture of do-it-yourself kind of um, ness, and if that fails, and suddenly a bunch of people move in who lose that, then it might unbalance the budget because you're suddenly paying so many more contractors, or even just being neglectful about the the state of the house. Whereas in the California one, it sounds like no one has to think about that because you have to think about that as like the executive director. And so they pretty much put all the responsibility in that one office. Yeah, I would say that's accurate. And the Minnesota co-op definitely didn't have a DIY culture, um, which all you said was true. Like you needed people who were motivated to live there in order for it to succeed. California, on the other hand, had the weakness that it was, generally all riding on one person, in this case, me. And <laughs> yeah, they had quite a high turnover of executive directors. Like I looked back in the last 30 years of the executive directors there and most stayed on the high end, perhaps three years, usually two years and often just a year. So they had a very high turnover of executive directors, which could in turn lead to a lot of problems uh, that we would see in the students cooperative, but on a larger scale. So if say a new executive director came and wasn't familiar with paying property taxes or having the insurance people come and do inspections that could cause large problems later on. Okay. So then how, how was the transition when you were sort of being trained into it? Was it kind of a frantic person being like, all right, here it is. I'm out of here. Or. Uh, yeah, it was, I had a week of training, which surprised some people later on at NASCO when they thought at least two weeks would probably be better. But the outgoing person had a job at a food co-op in another area. So they wanted to leave. Yeah. And then how was your um, passing on the role? Did you insist on a two-week training period? Uh, my passing on the role was basically leaving some notes for a person that would follow me. Yeah, they went into kind of a transition period where they didn't have a full-time executive director. They had some interim executive directors as well. And now they have an executive director who has also come to appreciate the high turnover rate and um, is trying to work on that for part of the Santa Barbara culture. Like a movement to maybe delegate a little more? Yeah, perhaps so. There certainly a weakness of the Santa Barbara co-op was in a Jim Jones, the co-op Jim Jones, we both yeah. know, at one point visited the Santa Barbara co-ops and done sort of an analysis and looking at the budget and said that in order to have staff like they wanted there, 
able to pay them and get all their needs met, but they would probably have to double their size. So reach about 200 members mm -hmm. so that they could have well, a full-time maintenance person really, and have an executive director and have, yeah, probably a financial person as well, just so that these tasks get spread to people who are more specialized in them. Early on, I was working in Santa Barbara Cooperative. I was routinely working 60-hour weeks. It was often 50 hours a week there. Oh my gosh. Wow. I take it you're not living in a co-op right now. Well, what? Uh, technically, I actually am living in a co-op. Really? It's structured much more like a condominium, I would say. But okay. it is on paper a co-op, which came up in some of the forms I had to fill out for where I'm living in. I'm now living in Sweden, as we talked about. And yeah. part of becoming a resident here is mentioned on your immigration papers, what kind of house you're living in, if it is a house or if it's a co-op and co-op wasn't the choice. And that's what we actually do live in here. Wow. Okay. Okay. But condominium structure. So does that mean you have an offsite office somewhere? Do you have HOA fees, that kind of thing? Uh, there is an offsite office and there is a board of directors. I think our next door neighbor is actually on the board. But as far as we're involved, there's very little, which is nice for now. So when you think of the students co-op now, what do you think of? People doing activities together, um, a lot of spontaneous activities. So people say me in the movie TV room and seeing that there's a movie happening, just sitting down on one of the couches and joining it and watching people sitting in the kitchen, making meals at different times, but still talking to each other. Yeah, people interacting in the hallways when they cross each other's path and talking there. It's a lot of socialization there and yeah, opportunities to do different activities. <laughs> With about 30 people living there, it seemed like there was always someone who was going to some event, whether it was for school, like their art showing, a party, um, some cultural gathering, like say Japanese club. Yeah, you could have a very full schedule if you wanted to participate in everything that people were doing and inviting you to. What were some of your favorite activities? So urban exploration, that was fun. Didn't do a whole lot of that, but I know we have a few people living there mm -hmm. I overlapped with who were interested in going into, say, abandoned buildings or buildings which were under construction and seeing what was happening within them. What kind of things would be in a, an abandoned chamber or, or, or a hall or something? Yeah, uh, often there would be signs of other people being there in the past, perhaps people having lived there for periods, a general lack of infrastructure. So there might not be complete stairways anymore oh and gosh. needing things like flashlights and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, definitely that's... felt like exploring a cave or perhaps some kind of exploration video game. I remember you, you said cave and I remember you dressed at one point, like we went to the Renaissance fair and you had this <laughs> outfit that was like a, a bush around your waist and like didn't you have like a a comically oversized bone oh, or yeah. something like that like i loved that people could just wear what they wanted but then you actually had almost like halloween outfits or or like really interesting costumes yeah this is a combination of what later became a renaissance fair costume and and it was a halloween costume at one point and a different halloween costume so the giant bone was for one Halloween where I was Cubone, the Pokemon, which was <laughs> oh, of course, oh right, yeah, a very fun costume to make. Had made the skull out of paper mache, and another co-oper, Miranda, there had helped me make the tail. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, and then my leaf costume that had started as a Halloween costume, and then later on grew to be a costume that I've performed with at Renaissance fairs, getting paid to wear it and walk around. Also quite a bit of fun, but first started the co-op. <laughs> there was the Renaissance fairs are known for making fun of people. And they were like, oh, better not, better not light a match or we'll have a bushfire on our hands or something. I think. Was yes. <laughs> Many leaf jokes about, uh, since I was wearing leaves about fall coming soon and <laughs> what people will see once that happens <laughs> all right i mean we're kind of on the topic i i want to talk a little bit about if if you're open to it like managing a relationship you had a relationship in the house but she didn't live there so 
did you have enough privacy? Like what, what was it like having someone coming over to this crazy house full of like 29 people? Yeah, that was, so having a relationship with someone outside the house, that was quite interesting, especially her first time coming to the house, see what it's like, like this is how I live. And <laughs> It's definitely overwhelming for many people on their first visit, but later she became used to it and yeah, felt welcomed there. Yeah, it was generally comfortable. Where quite a few people had relationships with people outside the house, and yeah, they became sort of like secondary residents. Like, yeah, not like they were living there, but people knew them and yeah, recognized them around and talked to them. I know that some communities, like especially rural communities, may have different rules like, oh, well, you're here enough. You need to start paying dues or something like that. And I'm like, no, I mean, I like that they treated it more like it's an apartment. You could have 20 people over if you, as long as you're responsible for them. The responsibility had to fall somewhere. And let's mm-hmm. say one of the bicyclists stole a bicycle or something. And we'd be like, oh, my gosh, like what? Yeah, well, it fell on you because you're the ones that hosted them. I, I, I would always worry that it would make them feel unwelcome in some way because they're like, you're not paying. So who are you? You know, um, that kind of thing. But I'm glad to hear that it sounds like that wasn't a concern. Like they were welcome. They were kind of seen as like an extension in a way of the, of the family or whatever. Yeah. I think it was interesting to see some people who were in a relationship with people in the house, but weren't currently living in the house, sometimes the people would later move into the house themselves because oh, yeah. they like the guests. What did you like and dislike about the co-op? So many of these things are hard to answer because the things I liked overlap with the things I disliked. <laughs> um, yeah. For example, I liked how the co-op was run by members and had meetings and we discussed topics before voting on them, this was a great strength of the co-op, generally that people would talk about things. What I didn't like about the co-op, uh, as one former member there said about the meetings, if you propose it, it will pass, which was a general rule that people would <laughs> want to vote yes on proposals because they wouldn't want to be perceived as negative. Yeah, which is a weakness in many places, I think, and I saw in other cooperatives as well. Like people don't want to be seen as voting against their friends' wishes, um, even if they can tell that their friends' wishes probably wouldn't be helpful for the future of the cooperative. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, I just heard this story of sometime probably in the 90s or something, the students co-op, that there was some proposal to donate a large sum of money to Save the whales, which I mean, it's it's great. They and they did this. They voted to donate a few thousand dollars to uh, Save the Whales Foundation. And they're like, oh wait, we forgot that we have to pay our like annual taxes or annual insurance, which is a huge sum of money that comes up once a year. And when people forget about these things, it's difficult. So long term vision. That's a uh, long term planning is sometimes a weakness of the co op especially with the turnover that was there. Yeah. I feel like we've also joked that proposals have come and gone that resemble proposals from the past. Yeah. And things like that. Could, happen. could you give an example? Just so I was just thinking, Oh, okay. I, I can, th- I, th- I think of one vaguely. There was like at one point business manager was financial manager and treasurer mm-hmm. and they split oh, well, let's outsource things. And so for like, I don't know, like a a few months, we outsourced finances to a company that just was charging us like hundreds of dollars a month for sitting on our paperwork and not filing anything that they needed to file. And so we just like took the boxes back and we're like, give that back. Like you didn't do anything. And we, and we couldn't get our money back from, you know, we spent probably a few thousand or a couple thousand on on them doing almost nothing with their finances. I mean, at one time I saw it as a as a strength of the co-op because we're always willing to try a solution, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it, that you're right; it's actually also a weakness because the, the lack of institutional memory, the lack of like learning from our mistakes, and and kind of like keeping in our head like, oh, this is what this is this was this direction didn't work. Um, um, but on the other hand, maybe. 
one day it will for that for that particular cohort. So the, the chaos is is yeah, you're right. It's like a it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. Yeah, it's definitely a way that a lot of people confront issues that they would never have thought of before. And yeah, maybe they'll make the right decisions or make the decisions that people did five to ten years ago. There was a woman living there who just gotten a single and was very excited about repainting her room. And I had gone to the hardware store to get paint with her, Home Depot. She had chosen the color sexy pink, which is this very like <laughs> Barbie color pink. Hello Kitty. And yeah, we briefly talked about like, oh, is this something that you will be okay with your room looking like over the whole I remember time that you'll this. be here? <laughs> yeah. And um she was pretty sure like, yeah, this is a good color. I, I like the color. And yeah, she had painted her room. This in sexy pink. And <laughs> yeah. then within a month, she was quite unhappy with her decision. It was very bright and sexy pink when a person walked into the room and saw everything that shade. <laughs> I think there was a meeting that came up after that. That was like, there was a policy decision. Like you, you must re- make your room a neutral color after this. Yeah. I remember this as well. Yeah. This did come up as a result of, yeah, specifically that color. I mean, I finally remember the Halloween parties there. Those were often, you know, the highlight of the fall for me. And I'm an introverted person, but I really like the Halloween parties. It's my one very extroverted seeming Yes, I, I have to vicariously live through people who can handle that. I was, I don't know what I am, introverted, extroverted, but like for some reason, the Halloween parties, I was like, there's too many people having a good time. I need to get out of here. But so many people praise even up and down the block. Even frats wanted to come to the Halloween party at the students co-op. Yeah. I want to know what, what, what was it about those Halloween parties that made it special? Definitely a combination of things. Um, yeah, people within the house taking on themselves to decorate. Um, people finding DJs who were their friends who would DJ the party for free. Also seeing co-opers during the party take responsibility for <laughs> being bouncers at the doors and making sure that the people on only people on the guest list were entering. It was this was my first Halloween party there, and um, there was someone who had just moved out of the co-op was same with a bouncer at the door. And there was this guy who tried to run into the house and former co-oper just reached over, grabbed him by his belt or pants. Like this guy flew back out the door just as quickly had tried to enter. And that was quite funny to me. That's impressive. And yeah. It also showed that, yeah, when it came to partying, co-opers wanted to party because we had, probably a couple people, hundred people cycling in this house throughout the night. Um, but they were friends of the co-op and then people were organized enough and responsible enough to clean up after the party. And I thought that was really quite impressive because most people don't want to clean up after a party. Yeah. The co-op that's did true. that quite well. Yeah. The, the normal chores even seemed adequate. Like if I'm halls and stairs, so I clean halls and stairs a little harder after this party. Like that's all. It was cool. It was nice to see that. I also liked that there were a number of meetings leading up to the party. It was kind of like this sense of not what's the opposite of foreboding. It's like a good form of foreboding. And and people would say, okay, are we going to issue drink tickets? You know, proposals like, okay, yeah, we vote on having drink tickets. How many drink tickets? Uh, we need we need some money for a keg you know can we get a keg so i loved that there were these cooperative decisions around having a good time it was pretty funny yeah that's really the only time i've seen that in my life even among other co-ops <laughs> cop was quite responsible with its party making what was your educational experience like and did the house distract you hinder you from that or was it like a good place to to live going to university so I was at the University of Minnesota getting my master's degree in geology. Yeah, the co-op was where I moved after finishing my first year of my graduate degree 
living at home with my parents. And then I went to the co-op. I'd say the co-op was a much better environment for me than living at Mm. home with my parents, feeling like a child there. Mm. The co-op could in some ways be distracting, but it also helped me focus. So I felt like I was doing meaningful work, um, whether it was doing dishes, cleaning the kitchen, being kitchen manager or treasurer, these various roles within the house and working on my degree. It felt like I was doing real world work for the co-op. And also my more theoretical potential work at the university. Yeah, the geology department was two blocks away from the cooperative. So it was super convenient for me. Wow, that sounds really nice. In a geology degree, you're you're just reading a lot. And like, are you doing any like reading seismographs or whatever? Like, how, how, what is it like? Yeah, my geology work involved a lot of ARC GIS. So sitting in front of a computer, making maps, making databases. I was looking at uh, the biogeography of mammals in Africa. I'm looking at how this could be applied to paleoecology and paleontology and climate change. I don't understand all those words, but doesn't it have to do with basically like studying how animals affect the environment and like, and then where the animals kind of like modify the environment by the, by the paths they take or, or. Yeah. So I was studying, this was kind of an extension of what I had studied in undergrad, where I looked at this species of lagomorph called a pika or pika. I still like to call them pika. It's closer <laughs> to Pikachu. Um, yeah. Peacock lived in North America for a very long time, many tens of thousands of years. Um, but as climate change has affected their range, they've um, been generally been forced as it gets warmer to move into mountains. So now they're within the 48 contiguous United States, pretty much restricted to the Rocky Mountains. Um, but there's a fossil record, and the fossil records indicate that they've been living in Florida as well, which is sea level, very warm. So that would seem to indicate that Florida was at one point much colder and that the Pika were able to tolerate it there. Using that information, you can kind of get an idea of what the past climate was like in these different areas. And you can put this together with tree record data, other sorts of data like um, ice core information, sediment cores as well, to get a more complete picture of what the environment was like in the past. That's kind of what my work at the university was dealing with. Wow, that's awesome. And I just looked up the Pika and it is super cute. <laughs> yes. Did any other cooperatives at the time have uh, studies that crossed over with yours? Yeah, we had uh, quite a few people were doing biology degrees within the house. And frankly, my geology degree was mostly biology. That's the side I'm interested in. But paleontology is the animals are dead at this point. So now they're geology. <laughs> yeah, so it was fun to talk with them because they were doing different specializations in their own fields. As far as uh, less positive interactions, I briefly had a roommate who was a fundamentalist Christian. And when he heard I was doing geology work and uh, studying evolution, he simply said to me, I don't believe in that. Like, <laughs> And this was like within my first week of knowing him. So Yeah. I mean, you would hope that even if they have a different view, instead of just stating the difference, they would at least want to strike up a conversation and talk about different views. But just saying, I am not open to your view straight up, right out off the bat. It's kind of makes it an awkward living situation. Yeah. Those could happen at the co-op, of course. Like people got along with different people and varying degrees naturally from having that many people there. Yeah, I was actually going to bring that up a little bit. So did you feel that there was any danger of clicks or was it mostly just relegated to, okay, people had different interest groups and they kind of respected one another? I could see that there could be a potential for clicks, but I think with how often people met in the house, like had house meetings and were generally forced to interact in some way, like whether it's in the kitchen or in the hallways, um, you know, people talking in the bathrooms as well, since we had large bathrooms, not creepy at all. Yeah, no, um, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, that I didn't see too many clicks for them. Like people definitely had their closer friends at the time, but I mean, this is my opinion, of course, in my perspective that I didn't think I saw too many clicks. That's awesome. 
as someone who is kind of the, a rarer person of color in the house, I mean, how can you know? But but what was your feeling about being like a person of color in the house? That's mostly basically like middle class white Minnesota people. Yeah, that was interesting, especially because you know, most of the people in the house being white, liberal, fairly progressive people, um, diversity often came up as a topic uh, and wanting to make the house more diverse was often desire of some of these people uh, but when it t- came time for recruitment it would be a white middle class liberal progressive person wanting to invite their friend who's a white middle class progressive liberal person as well and which was uh, yeah somewhat self-reinforcing but it's also difficult to target diversity in a non-tokenizing way like if you don't yeah i'm sure that many of the people didn't have like a lot of friends who were people of color um, just by virtue of where they grew up geographically. Eventually, the house did get more people of color living in it. And comparing that diversity to the diversity within the University of Minnesota, it was actually slightly more diverse than the University of Minnesota. So that's, in that regard, a good thing if diversity is the target. Yeah. Like statistically, the sample is like higher diversity in the co op. That's cool. Yes. But it is definitely an uphill battle in a, this culture where we're so divided. And um, it's really, really sad to me because that's that to me, that's like the ideal. Yeah, I think the co-op was good in that it strove to be an inclusive place, um, a welcoming place, which isn't to say that it was super diverse because obviously place can be welcoming without being diverse. Um, but. Yeah, like you say, it's very challenging. And your experience in Sweden now, is it diverse there? Uh, Sweden has rapidly become more diverse as it's been welcoming more immigrants from war-torn countries. Uh, yeah, my girlfriend here, she was growing up and it was all white people like her, which in her neighborhood. And now... The place we live, it's very clear that there's a mix of diversity of people. Asia, Africa, Middle East, India, really all over the world. Like on the street, I ran into a person from Colombia. It's definitely quite diverse here. I'd say, anyways, much more diverse than uh, Minnesota and Minneapolis were in my experience. That sounds nice. Yeah. Is that an important value to you? And what other values do you have that are kind of something that you saw first at the students go up and it stuck with you and you want to see more of in your life now, if anything, or if you're just kind of like, you know what, I'm done with that part of my life. Yeah. Something that stuck with me from the students co-op is people taking on responsibility in these DIY roles. Said, um, yeah. And organizing for people really, I mean, they benefit, but it's largely out of the kindness of their own heart. Like these positions weren't compensated that we were doing and normally they would be paid salary positions if we were working at an organization. Yeah, and I always have dreams for something like the co-op. Again, people come together and work in community and it's affordable and people feel like they're growing there and developing. There's a real sense of community and friendship. Yeah, after the co-op and in most of the world, people feel much more isolated, which, yeah, if people are living in their own apartments, not interacting with their neighbors as much, or within their own houses and not interacting with their neighbors as much, it's certainly difficult. I realize also, like, part of that might just be that time in our lives, like, it's easier to meet people when people are students because you're in classes, meeting all these people in school. But once a person has a job, they're often interacting with primarily their coworkers and bosses. And that's a whole sort of different environment. Yeah, definitely. So there is some sense of like, you would you ever start a co-op again if the opportunity came up? Yeah, I absolutely would start a co-op again if the opportunity came up. I talk with one of my friends in Oakland about this fairly routinely. Um, yeah, we had at one point looked at properties there. I mean, it's largely a matter of gathering enough interested people and capital that goes along with that for the initial investment. But it's it certainly seems like an achievable goal. 
this is a really challenging question maybe, but this is something that's on my mind lately. And I, I'm trying to figure out if co-ops as wonderful as they are a, like a, a healing place or a place that is an antithesis of constantly expanding colonizing, can co-ops serve as a portal for colonization? And can, can there be a co-op that's married better to decolonizing as a goal? That is a difficult and very nuanced question. I mean, so much depends, I think, on the individual cooperative, because there are huge cooperatives which operate as businesses. Uh, I mean, every cooperative is technically a business, but the more corporate ones, like Land of Lakes is a cooperative, technically. And, and then there are much smaller ones that are perhaps just 10 people. The students cooperative was quite small. In the overall scheme, 29 members. I think that they can serve in some role for decolonization, like just seeing what's possible that people don't have to conform to these normal roles of, yeah, you know, like living isolated or living within dorms, which, I mean, there's community within college dorms, but in the students cooperative, which was mostly people of college age who could have been living in dorms was an opportunity for them to meet a much more diverse range of people. And that way, I think it really opens people to new ways of thinking. As far as colonization goes, it's difficult because cooperatives sound so wonderful, like ownership by the members and that they're supposed to operate for the members. But as they grow, they do become more like conventional companies because they are operating within capitalism. And uh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking about. Some people within the students' cooperative would talk about the co op being anarchist or socialist, which is a nice ideal, but ultimately it is operating within this capitalist world. Like we still have to pay property taxes. Yes. And yes. that's something that we always come up against, even in radical groups. We often are compelled to follow some societal norms which do ultimately reinforce themselves like the power structure isn't going to go down yeah without yeah. a rather large fight well it sounds like you're working on reconciling it in your life too it'd be fun to start a co-op with you <laughs> yeah let's see i was thinking as far as radicals um i know in denmark I think in Copenhagen, there's a small area of the city which has kind of been designated its own area where the residents don't pay taxes. Uh, it's essentially its own country operating as it. And as I understand, it, it's fairly anarchistic in structure, which, yeah, tends to work pretty well. And in small areas, like uh, it's a geographically restricted part of the city, and people are in general pretty well minded there. So I'm not anarchist. and but I do think anarchy looks pretty great on paper. <laughs> ultimately, an issue with anarchy, I find, is that there is a power vacuum existing, or rather there's no one in power. And so if someone interested in seizing power and is good at getting people to follow them enters this area, then anarchy often falls, as we've seen in some anarchistic communities in the yeah. past. Yeah, and some would say that is a definition of anarchy, is basically like gang warfare. Yeah, anarchy seems to be kind of a transition state most of the time. I, I like to believe that, yeah, there's some kind of socialist anarchy that could exist in some, yeah, like you say, like small pockets. But anyway, what what would you say you'd want to tell any uh, future generations of co-opers, if anything? I'd like to tell future generations of co-opers to really embrace the co-op and their time there is it really is a unique time period in their life most likely where they'll be living in community with the opportunity to take on these roles and you know, making this community possible and also want to encourage them to think of the long-term needs of the co-op and not just the present needs um, so say rent at the co-op was quite low. And the past membership of the co-op had codified within the bylaws that rent would increase by a small amount each year. And I think this was excellent foresight on their part. But of course, it depended on the current co-opers of the time following the bylaws and not conveniently forgetting to raise rent because they didn't want to pay 
$10 more per month, which can be a weakness. Um, so definitely keep in up that long-term vision because at some point, one of the commercial refrigerators, which costs thousands of dollars, will break and you'll need a new one. Something like the roof will break eventually, which the co-op is always... Or every five years. <laughs> yeah, it's still going through. And if people would pay $10 more a month, they could afford a commercial fridge each year. And if they were paying $30 more in rent each month, they could pay $15,000 more each year towards a roof. Yeah, these are amounts that can impact some people quite a bit, it seems, in from what we talked about in house meetings at the co-op, but overall the rent while I was there was so far below market rate that there are many years that the co-op was barely breaking even, probably was sometimes not breaking even. And nice, if yeah. you yeah, want the co-op to exist, um, investing in its future by putting money towards something that you'll never see is important. For sure. Group equity. Yes. Group equity for the win. My other question is, are you still playing the harp? I remember wonderful harp music coming from your room. Uh, harp. I have unfortunately not been playing the harp lately. Yeah, I last played heavily when I was working for Renaissance Bears in California. But I still have the harp. I could always pick it up. Uh, I have some musician friends here in Sweden, so maybe they'll want to have a harp in their band sometime. That would be amazing. Thank you so, so much for this really, really fun and heartwarming interview, Gigi. It's great to see you again. Yeah. Good to see you, Maxine. Great to talk to you. All right. Well, till next time. Take care. Be well. Thank you. Likewise. I hope you enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. And next time we'll talk with more co-opers. For show notes, please check out podcast.studentscoop.org and you can also check out pictures from the 2010s. I hope spring brings you many wonderful things.